Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. Ben, Ben, welcome to In the Can, part of the Barnburner Podcast Network. This is the 40th anniversary of Empire Strikes Back. Here we go. Luke Skywalker and Han Solo rescued the princess, destroyed the Death Star, but their story didn't end there. Now, the creators of the biggest smash hit of all time bring you the next episode in the Star Wars saga, The Empire Strikes Back. continuing story of our band of heroes, Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, Han Solo, C-3PO, R2-D2, and Chewbacca, and introducing Lando Calrissian. It's an epic of romance. Of heroes and villains, They cross trackless voids to unknown worlds. A galactic odyssey against oppression. Big, new, sprawling space adventure in the Star Wars saga, The Empire Strikes Back. Coming to your galaxy next summer. All right. This is an exciting time. Here we are. This is Sam. You know me as the Barn Chief on Twitter. This is in the can part of the Barnburner Podcast Network. We are at the-barnburner.com, which is a tremendous website. If you haven't checked it out, you can subscribe to in the can wherever you get your podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, Google. We have our own feed now. So check that out. It's the 40th anniversary of a very important film for us. I've got two scruffy looking nerf herders in Brett and Ed on this podcast and our special guest, Mr. Clayton Sandal. Emmy award-winning American journalist and ABC correspondent. Uh, he is, uh, you look like you're going to pull the ears off a of Gundark there, Clayton. How are you? I'm doing well, guys. How are you? I, I, I love watching that trailer. I, I, I and did, did you know, do you know who narrates that trailer? I assume you do. Maybe. Sounds yeah. like Mark Hamill. It's Harrison Ford, isn't it? Ford. Yeah. It's Ford. Oh. Doing his best, like weird sports announcer yeah. voice. Like, like old timey nineteen forties reels from World War. Flash Gordon. He's doing like Flash yeah. Gordon. It should end yeah. with like. Yeah, Leia, yeah. Was, Leia made it home in time to make dinner for the fellas. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> got that mid Atlantic accent down. Yeah. Love it. That's fantastic. Um, well, you know, we we uh, I feel like you're the expert. You know, on the podcast, we're just we're just nerds that love the subject matter. You oh, have actually please. tell us about your uh, some of the documentary work you've done and some of the behind the scenes stuff you've done in the Star Wars universe. 
Yeah, so for probably about the last five years, um, I was always kind of a Star Wars fan, and then it sort of morphed uh, happily into uh, into my work life a little bit. Uh, so we have done a, a number of behind the scenes kind of featurettes uh, on on all sorts of different things. A, a lot of sort of behind the scenes of like the visual effects of various things. Like we did a whole series on the visual effects of solo and things like that. Uh, but the really big one that I'm really super proud of is uh, something called the force of sound, which gosh, I guess is going to be almost three years old in February. And, uh, and that was basically a sort of a mini doc. It was a half an hour look. Uh, we sort of took you into uh, to Skywalker ranch and into the hallways of Skywalker sound to kind of do a, uh, a behind the scenes of the sound design of the last Jedi, which was uh, just, a, as you can imagine, walking the halls of Skywalker sound and talking to the people who, who did the sound for this movie uh, was, was pretty incredible. So, so that was kind of cool. And so, yeah, kind of done all, all sorts of different things. Um, and when you say we, uh, who are you, are you part of a company on the side or, or is that with your, ABC. No, that's all. That's all part of. Yeah, that's all part of uh, ABC uh, team. Various various producers um, over the years have worked on on different things. Uh, we've gone to celebration and done a bunch of stuff from from different celebrations. Um, did a really fun one one time uh, for Nightline on fans who make their own fan films, which was kind of cool because we got to go yeah. this this particular group that we hooked up with. They were doing their uh, film out in uh, the desert near Glamis, Southern California, kind of not far from where they did uh, uh, the uh, Tatooine scenes from Return of the Jedi. So that was kind of cool. And then was they that the Origins? Did... Was that the crew uh, who did Star Wars Origins? No, it was uh, the Sable Corsair. In 2016, uh, Star Wars: The Sable Corsair was the name of their their uh, film, and they actually won. Uh, I believe it was the fan favorite category. So, so we were there with them while they were shooting out in the desert, which was kind of fun. It was like all these friends and family, probably 30 or 40 people that had gotten together. And uh, what was awesome about that is they had uh, folks that they knew from the 501st who came out, and so we're standing out there. And I should send you guys some pictures, but we're standing out there in the actual desert where, you know, old Star Wars movies were filmed. And uh, you see like Boba Fett walking over the hillside and stormtroopers walking over the hillside. And it was just like, oh, this is really cool. Uh, even for this like little low budget film that these guys mm -hmm. made, which which turned out really great. Uh, but they ended up winning. So we followed them all the way to London to Celebration London or Celebration Europe. And uh uh, watch them get, win, get their award on on stage at uh, at celebration, which is kind of fun. So yeah, all sorts of really random stuff that I've done over the last five years. That's awesome. We're big Last Jedi fans here at In the Can, so we were, we're huge Ryan Johnson heads. So shout out to yeah. that movie of the sequel Thanks trilogy. Um, yeah, there, there you go. Is. Yeah, there it is. Nice. Uh, he just keeps that by his side at all times. He didn't even yeah. Play <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love it. Um, yeah, so let, let's just start with what our general thoughts on this movie. I, thought, I think it's kind of important to figure out when we came to Empire Strikes Back. When the first time you saw it, what's your first memory of it? Clayton, why don't you go ahead and start? I remember distinctly. I was, uh, let's see, when it came out, I would have been uh, seven. And I went to, um, it, we had one theater in my hometown of Riverside, California. And uh, it, it was the fourplex. And they were showing it on the biggest screen of the fourplex. And I went with my aunt Dana, who was probably, uh, she's about 10, 12 years older than I am. So she and a couple of friends 
and I went and we sat out in front of the theater in line for probably four hours that day. I remember it distinctly and, um, you know, just was just completely, completely blown away. But I remember the experience. So you, you yeah. were yeah. old enough where you actually had to wait three years to find out uh, the cliffhangers. Uh, exactly. Dang. Yes. Dang. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Can't fathom yep. that now. I mean, because the, the twist of this movie is so ingrained in pop culture that people that never even seen Star Wars know that line, you know, and so right. I can't imagine think, having they think they know the line. Apparently, everybody missed it. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Even the James Earl Jones, I think, got it wrong once in an interview. So. <laughs> Yeah, it is one of those things though. I'd love to be able to go back and actually experience for the first time because you know I'm younger generation that I I grew up just always knowing that twist. I don't remember not knowing it. Um, You know, so to be able to go back and actually have that impact and feel it for the first time would be pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool, and it's one of the reasons I've I've become so anti spoiler is because when I was in third grade, so when Return of the Jedi came out, I was on the playground. My quote unquote best friend, Chris Martinez, comes running up to me and he had already seen it. And he, of course, blabs that Luke and Leia are brother and sister. And it does. It like, uh, clearly you know, not a good you friend. You don't experience, yeah, you don't experience the movie in the same way. And I think to, to this day, when I, when I watch it, it affects it affects my viewing. You of think it. of so, yeah. Chris the Mouth Martinez. Mm-hmm. Man, yep. exactly. So. I'm sure, I hope he's listening to this. Chris, yeah, yeah, yeah I hope he is. Maybe, maybe you don't feel the appropriate amount of regret. Ruined <laughs> my childhood. Yes, exactly. Ed, when did you first come to it? Uh, so this was actually my first experience with Star Wars, and I remember it pretty vividly. Um, so I was probably like six, seven years old, and uh, I was home. My mom was off somewhere, and one of her friends from nursing school was babysitting me. And we're literally just like flipping through channels on the TV and go across like the Battle of Hoth. And uh, I said something about, you know, like, what is this? This is kind of weird or whatever. And she's like, oh, dude, you don't know Star Wars? Like, you're, you know, a seven-year-old boy. How do you, you don't know about, like, you know, the movie they said they drink blue milk. Like, there's laser swords. I'm just like, I have no idea what you're talking about. She said, okay, sit down. I'm going to go make a snack. We're going to watch this movie. You have to see this movie. And, uh, you know, from then on, I was hooked. Like, it was huge part of my childhood like i devoured everything star wars that i could find and uh you know somehow never seemed to grow out of being a giant nerd brett yeah i i honestly don't remember when i was first exposed to it um but i know that when the remaster came out in theaters in like the mid 90s like 95 97 uh when they when when they let lucas go ham on his uh effects and and darkened the snow speeders uh to just the right opaqueness uh to satisfy him um that was that was when i really got into it and it was literally at that point that everything became star wars um for for probably the next 12 years or so uh i was telling sam previously though that one year uh, darth maul the double-bladed lightsaber was like all i wanted for since i saw phantom menace and me and every other kid and i got it uh and then my dad snapped it in half because i kept hitting my sister with it so that that probably like ended my my childhood fantasies of becoming a jedi knight at that point you just shouldn't uh, have gone to the dark side right. so quickly yeah 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 i mean red though it's a cool color it is uh, yeah yeah your dad was basically the palpatine there feel like yeah ruined your <laughs> training uh just sent you on your yeah. way yeah uh, he broke th- me so that i could he could build me back stronger as a, exactly. a cybernetic being 
Yeah, exactly. And that's how you got your cybernetic spider legs. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's a yeah. I mean, I, I first saw in, uh, episode one. Actually, it was the very first Star Wars I saw because my parents weren't into it at all. And so they ninety nine. I was nine years old. They took me to it. Saw it. Was like, this is awesome. A whole new world. I love the whole fantasy sci fi element. So then my parents got me the VHS trilogy that was the 97 edition. Yeah. I I devoured the original trilogy, which was weird to watch in that order because the prequels are so different. Um, But then Mm -hmm. I immediately gravitated towards the the original trilogy, even at that age. And I remember at that time, Jedi was my favorite because it had like Luke being a badass and like doing flips off a diving board and like the the speeder bike chase. I thought the Ewoks Mm -hmm. were cool. But as I got older, I I realized that Empire was my favorite of the original trilogy. And and that's, I think, kind of just the progress of a kid to adult sort of realizing that this movie might be the, the most adult movie of the trilogy. Um, what are your general thoughts on this movie? I mean, is this, is this each of your favorite of the nine film saga? Is this, do you consider this the best? I mean, let's, let's talk about that. I, I think it is the best and it is my favorite as well, but mileage may differ. Clayton, how do you feel? Yeah, it is. Uh, it is absolutely my favorite. This is a movie that is like my my comfort movie. If if we're you know at home and and there's nothing on uh, and we're like busy, I'll like I'll like put it on in the background just to listen to it. I think it's I think it's the best story. I think uh, it's got the best music. Uh, I think it really it, it's it really is. It's it's like comfort food to me. And it is this you know you mentioned it's this darker. Um, you know, middle part of this, this hero's journey where, you know, Luke has had in the first film, he's had like this, this physical victory over the empire in, in blowing up the Death Star. And now he's got to go into this like spiritual and almost moral victory. And there's all sorts of, of deep mythology that goes on with, with all the, all the main characters. And uh, it's just, just much deeper, darker. And, and clearly, you know, I, I think there's, it's not really a, a better twist you can find in any in any Star Wars film than than the end of toward the end of this one. So, yeah, always always and continues to be my favorite. It's true, and then there's a kind of a perfect storm. You have Lucas kind of step away, be a producer, but he find he hires his, and we'll get into this a little bit later. But he hires his film teacher from USC, Irvin Kirshner. They the go Kirsch. get young hot, yeah, the, the yeah the Kirsch as we call him, and then you get Lawrence Kasdan, the young hot screenwriter in Hollywood at the time, who just written Raiders right. to write to touch up the screenplay, the first draft. Uh, I mean, you have all this perfect storm of, of things come together. Lucas finances it himself, so he can't have studio interference, and we end up with this timeless classic. But it had to all align just like that. Um, Ed, is this your favorite? Oh, without a doubt, uh, I, I think this is pretty much uh, objectively the best of the nine star Wars movies. And it also happens to be most people's favorites, which is pretty impressive that it can check off all the boxes for, uh, you know, a big film nerd like Sam, but also be uh, as fun and uh, entertaining for someone that doesn't really care as much about the film aspect of it. That just wants to have fun and watch a movie. Brett, yeah. are you gonna are you are you gonna zag here? Gonna is, be is different. This, is this where you say that uh, Attack of the Clones is your favorite? Yeah. Mark? <laughs> uh, Yoda, uh, Attack of the Clones. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, I I can't. I honestly can't. I so I love I love to be different. I love to to disagree just for the on purpose most of the time. But Good radio. I can't. And it's mostly <laughs> mostly mostly uh, when you said the sound, Clayton. That's it for me. This is absolutely one of the best soundtracks in all of cinema. Um, it's John Williams, who's a master at so many different things. And, uh, I think he just nails it, especially the, the Han and Leia 
music. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The music when the X-Wing rises out of the Dagobah swamp. Um, and it's we the hear for the very first time, the Imperial March for the very first time. And it's incredible. So um, I, I honestly think that makes it. And that's kind of why it's background movie for me as well. So I can I can put it on at any time, whatever. I'm like, I sure. just need a movie to be on while I'm doing whatever I'm doing. So I'm not going to argue on this one. Yeah, John Williams is just arguably the goat at what he does, and I think this is peak uh, of his powers at this time. It really is, yeah. man. When I I rewatched it um, earlier today, and uh, just sat there and listened, man. I, I mean, he's so good. Even when he's not supposed, he doesn't want you focusing on the music. You know, you want to be like focusing on some dialogue or something like that going on. It still just puts you in the perfect mm-hmm. tone for what the scene needs. It's incredible mm-hmm. how he does it just grabs you and, and takes you along actually this is this is one of the few movies that i've seen uh our our uh, orchestra here in kansas city will play movies and then do the soundtrack along the yep. movie and this this is i've seen this and then like the third or fourth harry potter movie along with that and this just it's if anybody can get that opportunity to do it this is the movie to do it i would say to, to hear absolutely a live orchestra absolutely one of those great movies to pair with an orchestra yeah and my along. wife and i did that here uh last year and the whole time it was just chills it was <laughs> so great to look over there and see these guys playing the my one of my favorite tracks i, th- I think it's called hyperspace on the album and uh it, it's uh it's used a couple different times in the film but um, you know, to, to look over and see these musicians playing that music right in front of us just was yeah. uh, un- unbelievable. It makes you really appreciate really hashtag pre-COVID, the things yeah. we could do. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. man, pour one out. Yeah. But a lot of yeah. times going to those those kind of orchestra performances really makes it hit home what all goes into this because you see yeah. right, 40, 50 people, something like that, all just absolutely focused and, and grained and or engrossed mm-hmm. in what they're doing to pull this yeah. thing off and the precision that it takes to do it. And then to do it in tandem with the movie going on behind them. Uh, yeah. Absolutely astounding. And to do it, Williams. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Glenn. I was just going to say, and to do it for two hours straight. I mean, they're not doing yeah. it like a recording session There's, where you do it for five minutes and then you take a break. It's like they're doing There's it. There's no punching in and, and cutting it yeah. in there or anything like that. Maybe right. they take an intermission, but. That's yeah. it. It's just, hey, man, we start, we're done when we're done. Yeah. Yeah. The, the other artisans on this movie, we kind of touched on it earlier. Larry Kazdan, the screenwriter, touched up a script written originally by Lee Brackett, who was like a, a classic sci-fi screenwriter from the 40s and 50s and a novelist as well. And actually, I've read the Lee Brackett screenplay um, the, the past couple of days. And it's, I mean, there, you can see a lot of elements that made its way into this. It doesn't have that Larry Kasdan crackly dialogue, though, which is really what separates this movie, I think, from the first movie where the dialogue was a little bit corny, but you sort of bought into it because of everything that was going on. You like the actors and Harrison Ford is so damn charming. But this movie, you can tell everything's witty. The, the one-liners are whipping back and forth. The characters like have a certain level of camaraderie because it's been three years or so off screen, I think is this supposed to be the period mm-hmm. of time between new hope and, and empire. Um, of course, uh, Larry Kazan wrote body heat, big chill Raiders mirrors, the lost Ark. I mean, he's, he's one of the big ones. Uh, and then kind of went on to do a lot of star Wars work after the fact wrote, wrote, uh, or wrote Jedi wrote force awakens, co-wrote force awakens, and then wrote solo, I believe with the sun. Uh, so an incredible career from Larry Kazan. Apparently he 20 something years old, is a 20 minute meeting with George Lucas because he had just written screenplay for Raiders. So Spielberg hooks him up and, uh, and Lucas hired him to, to do the polish after Lee Brackett's draft. 
Uh, it, it's just, I mean, it's all the little things I think that make this what it is. As I said earlier, Irvin Kirshner was a teacher, only done these small budget, like character driven dramas, nothing at all like this. TV, TV yeah. direction. He just didn't even want to come in and do it at first. Lucas offered it to yeah. him and he said, I have no interest in doing that. The sequel is never as good. Uh, it'll never meet the quality and originality of the Star Wars, which is a worldwide phenomenon. I mean, it was nominated for Best Picture. Uh, it's the only Star Wars movie that has been. So he called his agent and his agent said, dude, get over to the fucking set and direct this movie because you're an idiot not to. Uh, and so an agent has a way of swaying a, a client in some ways. So then we ended up with Irving Kirshner, who notably kept Lucas off the set for the most part. I mean, you know, he's a producer. So, but, but actually, anytime Lucas would come on and try to micromanage or say this or that, Kirshner would say, hang on, I, I know how to put two actors in, in front of a camera. I know how to make a scene work. And, and so that would be the process. And uh, a lot of people say that maybe less Lucas meant a little more, you know, character, a little more like real people. Um, but, you know, that's just kind of the, the background of the film of it. Um, I think that's Lucas, really what makes this film stand out more than any know, of the I, other of it's the a, it's original a, trilogy. What's your mileage on Lucas, Clayton? Are you like a, I mean, you, we appreciate him for everything he, that he brought us this universe, but then there's the whole like him tampering with his movies. There's I went whole, too far. Yeah. What, what do you gone too far. Are, are you, where do you stand on that as someone that's, you know, covered him? You know, it's so funny because I I I read you know changes that have been made to to the films and and I don't I, it's been so long since I've seen the original versions uh, the truly original versions that it's hard for me to 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 even compare sometimes and I, it's actually kind of fun to go on YouTube and see where people have done the side by side comparisons of the original and special editions. Look, you know, this is his this is his candy store, right? And if there were things that he didn't like. Back in the day, that he felt he couldn't pull off technologically or or whatever uh, budget for budget reasons or technical reasons or or whatever, and he wants to go back and and tweak it and change it. You know, he is a uniquely individualistic personality that has the ability and the ownership over this material to go do it. And if he wants to do it, you know, I don't I don't begrudge him for that. Are there? things I think are goofy, like Greedo shooting first and, you know, <laughs> adding McClunky for whatever. McClunky. Who, 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 yeah. I mean, do, do certain things not make sense to me? Sure. Uh, but truly at the end of the day, um, you know, this, this is his world. This is his, his galaxy, his baby. And uh, frankly, it's, it's, you know, up to, up to him if he wants to go uh, uh, make some tweaks. Um, yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. And that's, that's ultimately, I think where we all come down, but there are people that are get irrationally angry about oh, yeah. it. Um, I, at some point though, I'm holding out hope and maybe, you know, have this Intel out. You don't have to breach any non-disclosure agreements, but if Disney's <laughs> going to release a, like the originals, the original originals, if those still exist somewhere, then I think that could happen at some point. Yeah, they've all been purged in George Lucas's backyard bonfire. That's the, the, some of the theory is, yeah, that he like, Burn. He warped, put on one of his flannel shirts, and went out in the backyard and sacrificed him to make Indiana Jones four. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't know. I I think if that were to happen, that it it would have to happen with his blessing. I I don't think Disney would do it uh, just to do it. Um, I I think they have too much respect for him, and and uh, as it should be. I I, I just don't. I don't. I, I don't see them doing it unless he's somehow has some uh revelation late in life that uh that the world needs to see that sort of thing um done but uh yeah i'm sure they still i'm sure they still exist somewhere and i'm sure they're they're well preserved and kept track of but yeah i don't i don't see i don't see it happening anytime soon 
moving to Jedi Scholar Corner and in, in Lee Brackett's first draft, uh, mm-hmm. Anakin Skywalker, the ghost of Anakin Skywalker, trains Luke and not um, and not Yoda. Uh, so he appears to Luke. The Yoda character is there, but basically the ghost of Anakin Skywalker replaces Obi-Wan's character. And uh, uh, there is no father reveal. Uh, Anakin is a wholly distinct character. And Darth Vader is just a, a really angry former Jedi. Um, and, and so that is one huge change that we ended up mm-hmm. seeing that really tied together the family aspect of this movie, because otherwise, you know, it wouldn't have the family component that it's known for now, which is, this is one kind of like super force powerful line of people. Uh, I think it's probably the right move. What ended up happening. I mean, can um, you even imagine this movie without that? It's hard to, I mean, it's, it's, it's cause it's, again, it's so ingrained. We, we, you know, we were yeah. born nearly a decade after this movie came out. So like it has always been right. around for us, but um yeah, I, 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 any other just kind of nuggets or trivia before I need to get into well, mine that, that anyone has? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, at one point they were, Lucas wasn't sure whether Alec Guinness was going to come back for the second movie. And so that, you know, this idea of, of Anakin being a, a forced spirit type thing that, that trains Luke um, was was kind of his fallback. And when they realized they were going to be able to have Guinness again, they kind of, made made obi-wan the force ghost that would show up again and and created this this mensch character of of yoda to do the to do the jedi mastering mm. and uh yeah and, and and really giving delivering some of the best lines i think in star wars canon you know the just incredible larry kasdan figured out that cadence kind of took it from certain dialects yeah. uh and just with the uh the direct object preceding the the noun and the verb which is so unique, you know, something that that is just really great writing and distincts Yoda from the rest of the the, the characters. Um, this movie, I mean, it, it it takes everyone and puts them apart. I think that's an important middle chapter thing. But that that it the, the people aren't on an adventure together, um, and you know, audiences. I don't know if we weren't expecting that. They weren't expecting Luke to have his own kind of individual journey. Mark Hamill on the Dagobah set for like months at a time, only human on the call sheet like doing his thing. And then, you know, Carrie Fisher, Hansel or Harrison Ford and all them on a, a Millennium Falcon flying around doing this other thing. And then meeting it all at the end, it ending on a down note instead of this triumphant defeating of the empire. And I think that all kind of plays into what makes it such a good movie. You like to see the characters that you love challenge. You like to see them kind of the worst possible things happen to them. And, uh, and that's just, that's classic middle chapter. Um, and he, he starts the movie in trouble and he ends the movie needing needing rescued from his two friends. They kind of bookend that that whole movie for him. Uh, you are we you going to talk about Luke's arc and character arcs in this? Uh, we'll that later about it now. Yeah. Uh, so basically, like for me, we always talk about themes. And uh, one of the I guess my question is, is what is the theme of this? Is it don't listen to your elders like Luke did? Or is it maybe next time listen to your damn elders and uh, you won't have your hand chopped off? Uh, So what do you guys think on that? I I mean, I took it and I see it as more of a like embrace your destiny or fight your destiny kind of theme. Um, I I mean, that's my takeaway. And and it's, you know, playing off the same scenes where he's kind of got that conflict with Yoda, Yoda telling him, stay, finish your training and everything. Um, You're not ready to face Vader yet. Um, But if you stay, yeah, your friends might die. Um, If you go, yeah, you might save them, but you're going to lose and you'll never be a Jedi. And so there's that conflict. And, you know, what is he willing to, what is Luke willing to pay um, or sacrifice to save his friends, and you know, is he going to fight whatever his destiny is, or what he's being told that his destiny is to do so? 
which plays a lot into the there is another line from Yoda as well, mm-hmm. uh, which I, I hear that George put that line in there just to make it suspenseful as to whether or not Luke actually does survive or not in the movie. Um, when you when you think that your main character may not make it, it makes it for a more interesting watch, um, which you just it like for me, I guess I was too young to even process that or to even care. It's just like, oh, you know, he's the hero. Obviously, he's going to survive this movie and, and win. Um, and then I was able to watch Return of the Jedi immediately afterwards and, and see the resolution <laughs> of that. So that uh, is such a go ahead. I think I cut you off mid thought. No, go. Uh, that's such a great little thing in this movie that I feel like does a fantastic job of somehow upping the stakes with lower stakes than the first movie. So, you know, very the, low stakes. I mean, the it's just original, about three exactly. people we care about. I mean, but, but it, the, the galaxy is not, you know, yeah, the galaxy is not at stake or anything. They don't even know this is happening. More. Yeah. It's, it's somehow more pressing, at least to me. Um, it's more pressing. The the danger feels more immediate in the climax of the movie. You're more concerned about the outcome and what is actually going to happen. And I think it's a bunch of little things like you were just talking about. He drops that line in there. No, there's another. There's a little bit of possibility that maybe the main character is going to die. Um, you know, they just froze Han Solo. Is he dead? Is he coming back? Uh, okay, they say he's alive, but like he's frozen and they're they're bounty hunters getting away with him. So what are they willing to do here? Um, and I just think that's a wonderful example that uh, a lot of movies nowadays, you know, in the last 10 or 20 years, or a lot of franchises seem to miss. They always feel the need to up the stakes with every um, new sequel. And uh, sometimes what's needed to really make you feel like the stakes are higher is to, to break them down and make them just more personal. Or uh, just have a character who's unstoppable, like in Seven, Eight, Nine, which is just uh, yeah. kind of tragic because there's a lot of things we could say about those movies. Uh, we may not be the biggest fans, but it's just like it's like a video game, right? It's just like there's no there's no leveling up uh, in those movies, which is the antithesis of what we get in these movies, where Luke literally from one from four, five, and six is just like the hero's journey. The classic yeah, heroes there's, journey. There's tangible him getting more powerful and more Jedi like, and some could say more boring because honestly, the Jedi like as you get more Jedi, you become they're boring. Kind of, yeah, they really are. I mean, they're 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 space monks, mm-hmm. um, but but really, you could see it tangibly in in the way that he is more confident and the way he moves and like the little the, the battle against the Wampa when he like calls a sword to him and but he's not quite there yet. I mean, he still ultimately could very well die if it weren't for his friend Han that saves him. So that. You know, you, you do feel that he could he's he's perishable, that he's a, a killable. Whereas like Ray, for example, I mean, it's you know, she's just so awesome. It's like hard to imagine someone's going to take her out at any point. Um, but, you know, I mean, we're not here to, to judge the sequels. Um, you shouldn't but, have even brought him up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was really the praise The Last Jedi. Which I'd love. Yeah. 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 Um, Subverting yeah. expectation. Yeah. You know, you, you say that it was kind of a low stakes plot, which which I, I tend to agree with. But I, I also think that this particular chapter was was really about the, uh, you know, the, the spiritual journeys that that not only Luke, but also Han Solo go through. Luke's, of course, you know, he he starts out as as still kind of this naive kid who doesn't even sense the Wampa is coming up behind him. Right. You know, and then the at the end of the movie. Uh, the Tauntaun does. He doesn't. Uh, but you know, by the, by the end of the film, he's he's now you know 
force connecting with with Vader and, and Leia in, in different scenes. And it's it's really, you know, it really is um, about how these characters, I, I think, are, are transformed over over the course of this film. You know, Luke going to Dagobah, which is this, you know, in mythology, the forest is always this like enchanted place full of sorcerers, right? And magic and, and things like that. And, and he has to confront who he is and who he's going to be and address his flaws along the way. I mean, and I think that's on display when he goes into the, the magic tree and he asks Yoda, you know, what's in there? Only what you take with you. Yoda tells him you're not going to need your weapons. He takes them anyway, right? Like he's impatient. He, he's not listening. And he goes in there and he is confronted with this idea that I don't think he truly understands at the time but this idea that that the dark side is inside of us all and it's just a, a few steps you know in the wrong direction that can take you down that path and vader is essentially this dark side shadow of himself before he even knows uh, or, or the audience even knows that that they're related um so, so I think I think there's just a much much more impactful, dramatic. The, the stakes are, you know, what, what happens to these characters internally? Who are they going to become? What choices are they going to make? Um, and you know, Han Solo as well. We, he he sort of goes from this guy who at the beginning is still not a hundred percent committed to this cause. He tells Jason uh, the general, Jason yeah, he's, he's, he's got to get out. Yeah, he's he's got to get out. He's got a price on his head. He's gonna he's got to leave. And then, throughout the course of the film, there's there's all of these, uh, you, you know, moments where they literally he literally goes into the belly of the beast, just like Jonah and the whale, right? And and comes out the mm -hmm. other side and survives that, and comes out of that giant space worm. It's almost like a a rebirth, right? And now he's he's a different person. He, you, you can see him changing throughout the entire film. And then of course the ultimate, he finds love, right? Right before he is encased in, in uh, carbonite, which of course I love because it, it reminds me of, of, you know, Perseus and Medusa and Perseus using her head to like freeze his enemies in, in stone and, and things like that. So all this, just love all the, the mythology that, that comes up in it. But uh, you know, for me, it's, it's about, really you know where these characters are taken this focus is definitely on the characters and i and i think that's yeah. the reason that it is the most compelling of the original trilogy and for me all of them yeah. agree yeah they yeah, say I mean, most of that is kirshner uh he, he wanted yeah. he wanted the characters to come through he wanted the actors to be able to to play around with it to build the best relationship on screen possible which mm -hmm. off screen you know there's a lot of I don't know if it's in the book, Sam, that you have the making of Empire Strikes Back. Do they touch on the uh, Han or the Carrie and, and Harrison Ford uh, bickering that may have been going on on set? Yeah. And then, I mean, it, you know, it's been long. No, well, not long, but recently Carrie Fisher, they had, you know, they're fleeing on the set of a new yeah, home in her book. And, where she yeah. talks about and, and so yeah. then, you know, then uh, Harrison Ford's like 10 years older than her and they had this whole thing they come back on set she's going through a lot of drug abuse at the time she said she filmed like half this movie while high on cocaine like in between takes sort of like with their fingernail taking fingernail bumps level that mid eight you know early 80s late late 90s or late 70s so it's kind of the culture but they're, they're yeah i mean those sort of like 
I think that comes across with her annoyance on him on the screen, you know, whenever like he, she's initially annoyed re- rejecting his, his attempts to, to hit on her and all of that. Like she kind of let, lets that sarcasm come across in a really real way on the screen. You could feel it. And they just have really, really great yeah. fucking chemistry. I mean, they well, just, it's probably a major reason for it. Chemistry. That's yeah. what makes yeah. the first half into character. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, 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 and there are some movies where uh, you know you rely on that sort of relationship as part of a romantic plot of a movie where the the leads just don't they just don't have that sort of chemistry they just don't get along that well and you could feel it uh, on the screen so that so it works not to mention the dialogue's great and the performances are yeah. great and all that so um, but in general i you know the question is always does this movie get made in 2020 but specifically, since we're talking about, you know, you're you're talking about it's the 70s, it's the 80s, you know, m- maybe people are doing cocaine pretty regularly. Uh, a lot of Han Solo's lines are, are pretty, uh, they wouldn't pass the hashtag Me Too movement these days, you know, and, and him uh, kind of trapping her in the room where she's trying to fix the, the levers and the dials. And then there's a deleted scene, which honestly, I'm very glad got cut out, but their hallway talking in the hallway like you like you were talking about their very first scene where, where we're figuring out what their relationship is uh the deleted scene he said you know i need to teach you how to be a woman or something like maybe you need me to stay and teach you how to be a woman and, and it's just like very good very good editing uh for that yeah, one i'm sorry pretty glad that one yeah got left. yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, some of it's tough but it is like it, it, it is such an element of its time and like it's like you know I, I i i think that movie still gets made today though you know if you look oh, at the disney plus show today yeah, if you look yeah. at uh, <laughs> if you look at Han Solo's arc in this movie, it's basically a rom com, and you've got him, you know, kind of buddied up with uh, everybody thinks Chewbacca, but really his true buddy in this movie is three PO, and uh, it's kind of an antagonistic relationship. Man, yeah. But you know, they begrudgingly become friends in the end, and and you know, he's got Leia and these experiences going on this, uh, you know this huge epic interstellar car chase with the, uh, you know, the four of them forces him to grow up and and figure out, Hey, you know, I can't be this like ridiculous, like devil may care chauvinistic kind of playboy type that I'm trying to be. And maybe I've got to grow up a little bit. So Clayton, you were, you were roughly seven. You said when this came out, Uh, did you, does that mean that Mark Hamill was definitely who you wanted to be? Like, did you want to be, Luke Skywalker, uh, or did you want to be Harrison Ford? It seems to me like maybe the dads would be like, "Hell yeah, I'll be Harrison Ford." Like, I'll be, I'll be Han Solo yeah. in this movie. I, uh, the kid. Is when it changes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I, I remember, I remember um, thinking that I, I was kind of, I, I was had the personality that was more like a, a Luke Skywalker personality, but I wanted to be Han Solo. Let's put it that way. I wanted to be mm-hmm. Han Solo, uh, but was more Luke Skywalker. Uh, but I, I just. Um, Harrison Ford uh, was, I just saw him as a giant. And, and of course, when he went on to do Raiders, uh, I, I was Indiana Jones for Halloween in elementary school, I think three years running. So, uh, you know, he just, he, the, the, the personality, the swagger, the confidence, yeah. all of that, you know, that you wish you had. Yeah. He is I mean, literally it's one hard. of the most charismatic people to ever be on screen without even trying. Who is the yeah, modern yeah. Harrison Ford. I, I don't. I don't know if we have. Yeah. No, Harry, uh, Brad Pitt's like. Yeah, he's younger. I think he's, like I think he's the modern Harrison Ford. You know, yeah. but it, I'm thinking like younger, like uh, like know. the Gosling era. Uh, I, don't, yeah. I don't think Gosling's it, but I'm just saying like that that age. Mm. But no, I mean it's it's just a you don't just like guys a carpenter right gets discovered because he's putting a door frame on. Right. They, they ask him to read lines like what the other actors are auditioning. I mean that sort of stuff is just like 
it, it's crazy how often the stars line, no pun intended, to make this happen the way it did. Um, yep. Let's move into some trivia. I, I listed a few things. Movie was the initial critical reaction was mixed, very divided. Some dismissed, some celebrated. Vincent Canby of the New York Times, who's like one of the more scholarly critics, wrote a very dismissive review calling it um, silly. Uh, said it's like reading the middle of a comic book. Uh, and then at the 53rd Academy Awards, it was nominated for or one best sound. Um, it was nominated for best visual effects. And uh, and it won that as well, but it was not really and, and John Williams was nominated, but not nominated in any of the power categories uh, really was uh, overlooked with respect to acting, with respect to cinematography, directing and Sounds those like sorts of things. Middle entry in one of the trilogies, if you ask me. <laughs> in 2010, the film was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry as culturally, historically and aesthetically significant and now appears on numerous top 10 film all time lists. Um, from a bunch of the same sort of journals that dismissed it 40 years ago. Uh, Lucas was so impressed with Frank Oz's performance as Yoda that he spent thousands of dollars campaigning for a best supporting Oscar for him, which failed. Oz did not care. He didn't want the award. <laughs> didn't feel that it was not in his, his, his own, which I, I'm like just the Frank Oz stan. Uh, I love that he shows up in Knives Out, as the, uh, which is a Ryan Johnson movie. Ryan Johnson became friends with him on the set of The Last Jedi had him come be the lawyer on Knives Out. I love that Frank Oz just sometimes acts in movies yeah. and goes up and you're like, I love this guy. And you realize like he's the warmest of people. Uh, Mark Hamill had to bang his head 16 times on the ceiling of Yoda's hut before Irving Ooh. Kirchner said that he was satisfied. That's like uh, Stanley Kubrick shit. I mean, that's like that's Jack and having to walk up the stairs, slashing the ax like a hundred times. Um, but you love to see it. I mean, I, I like to think that it's a 16th take that made it in the final cut. Uh, Jacob set needed to be elevated for Frank Oz to get underneath it to puppeteer Yoda. So that was an entire set, which is amazing. I mean, that really still looks great. And I, I think that's just sort of the magic of movies when you have like you build these sets at Pinewood, you have this huge space, you build this real set and then you could do whatever you want on it. And it feels real. This is one of my big things, Clayton, is that the Marvel movies use too much CGI. And like you can tell when you're in front of green screen, but these movies just sit, you can it's you know it's it's tangible. The you can feel prequel it. trilogy uses too much CGI. Like no, it's, that, you, you just use this, this exact series for that example. That's true. The prequel trilogy, but I think the Marvel movies will be that in ten years. Like I think this, the CGI c- catches up. Yeah, this movie in particular, the the set building is just out of this world. You know, uh, we're going to talk about our kind of sixth man woman award in, in a few minutes, but it was really hard for me not to go a little bit off script and say the set builders deserve that award. That design's fantastic. Yeah, that design is just incredible in this. And these guys, you know, went through and actually went through the hands-on labor to build all this stuff and make it look incredible. And they've got the Dagobah set that has snakes and lizards and all sorts yeah. of stuff in it. And, you know, I'm oh, sitting there looking at the, yeah, like I, I mean, the actual the swamp was disgusting. Yeah, like, yeah, I'm watching the movie and I'm like, I would be terrified if I was Mark Hamill. I'd probably have a nervous breakdown with my fear of he snakes. Was. Like, yeah, <laughs> he, he was scared of snakes. There's the part where he has to pull the, the snake out of the exhaust of the engine oh, to get up on when he's leaving. And apparently he did not want to do that scene. Yeah, like, so they found the smallest snake possible. <laughs> he's a better man than I am. I don't think yeah, I could do it. Yeah. They even had to build. They even had to build their own uh, soundstage uh, at L Street to house the Hoth uh, Rebel base set, and then even beyond that, extended it uh, another sixty feet outside the the giant elephant doors uh, to to build the entrance to that to that set, which is incredible to me. And uh, one of the it's funny. One of the things 
this is just give how nerdy I am. One of the things I will do is I will go into the Star Wars Blueprints book, and in here there are some amazing um, renderings of the the actual set design blueprints for things like the the Hoth set, and uh, and so I'll sit there and I'll try and like figure out exactly you know where the camera must have been to get that shot, what angle they used, which hallway they shot in, all that kind of nerdy stuff. So it's all in the Star Wars Blueprints book if you ever really want to go down the rabbit hole of uh, of Star Wars nerdiness. That's fantastic. Um, I'm for it. $18 million budget ballooned to $33 million. Uh, Lucas ended up financing it from a bank loan and his own earnings from A New Hope. Uh, and he wanted to keep the studio system out of it. 20th Century Fox was the distributor, but Lucas put up all the money himself. Uh, at that time, the highest budget of a, a major motion picture um, which is crazy to think about. Now these movies are wow. 200 million easily uh, budget. Um, Carrie Fisher called yeah. her relationship with Han like a stare, Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. Very contemptuous, but at the beginning of the movie, but as they progressed, uh, we see them kind of fall in love slowly but surely. And that is a hearkening back to the, the cinema of the 40s and 50s um, and sort of these romantic relationships. Hoth was shot in Norway on location, a lot of it. Um, the Hoth troopers were apparently... Uh, they were uh, Echo Base troops were actually Norwegian mountain rescue skiers. So shout out to the Norwegian mountain rescue sea, ski patrol for filling out the Rebel Alliance yeah. uh, soldiers. Helping us uh, save the galaxy, guys. Yeah, no, I, shout out to like, shooting those satellite dish guns, which I always love. I always like love to see mm-hmm. those. They really didn't weren't right. effective. They got blown up very early in the battle, but not at all. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's see what else. Uh, Boba Fett never mentioned by name. Form. In the yeah. middle of a snowstorm. Never mentioned by name. Uh, he's always referred to as the bounty hunter. And he is, I think, in the credits referred to as Boba Fett. And then in the script, there was a scene that was cut where he's referred to as Boba Fett. Or Laix says he was taken by Boba Fett at the end of the movie. So we saw that. Uh, but but it's uh, sort of funny. He takes on this whole after, because he's a toy and like the kids love him just because he stands there and looks badass and all that. What did you think of Boba Fett, Clayton? Was that a, did you come out of Empire and think like that's a character that's cool or were you just like, he's a background guy or? Think about that. Think about that. But do you know the I first think... time that his name was mentioned in on screen? The first time we hear his name? Does anybody know that? The holiday special? Mm-hmm. No. It's not even on that. Not he Jedi. was, he was in it? it, but he, it's no, in it's, Jedi. it's in E.T. The first time that Boba Fett was on screen, the name Boba Fett was when they're playing with their, their action figures in E.T. Whoa, someone Googled. Look, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Look, shitty look, internet look. research. That was really cool, <laughs> I, though. I, I would have said maybe the uh, there, there's an old video of, uh, of Ben Burt, and it might be Joe Johnson who is in the armor. I forget who had dressed up in the armor, but the, it's a great video, and I think it's on YouTube somewhere, of Ben Burt sort of explaining what all of these things are on the costume. Uh, on the armor, his trophy, yeah, the trophies and and all of that. Uh, But I'm not sure if he names him in that or not. I'd have to go back and look. Going to the main twist, uh, the the security on it was very intense. George Lucas was so determined that it would be kept secret that he didn't tell David Prowse, the physical (laughs) actor in the Darth Vader uh, costume, yeah, RIP, that that's what he would say in that scene. In fact, he told him to say, Obi-Wan killed your father. And dubbed it later, you know, when James Earl Jones did the dialogue at to I am your father. Five people only knew about the ending before the release. George Lucas came up with the idea after he was rewriting Lee Brackett's first draft. Irvin Kirshner was informed during the story conferences 
Larry Kasdan was also informed during the story conference, so, so he didn't write it. Mark Hamill was informed hours before the scene itself. Uh, and James Earl Jones was told during the recording sessions, he didn't believe it, that, that Vader was telling the truth until Jedi. Uh, and at the right. premiere of the movie, uh, the that scene played, Harrison Ford sitting next to Mark Hamill, leaned over to Mark Hamill and said, you didn't tell me about that fucking thing, kid. And like, in his voice. yes, and <laughs> I just love the notion of him leaning over and like whispering that <laughs> in the premiere so of this angry. historic movie, yeah, and in his Harrison Ford voice. Uh, so that's fantastic, uh, stuff from the twist there. All right, how do you say Imperial Walkers? What are the what is the letter designation? How, uh, Clayton, how what do you call those? Uh, I call them adats, okay, but. But uh, I noticed, you know, it, playing playing Battlefront one time on Xbox, I noticed that in that they say it both ways. So I I don't know. As Dave Filoni once said, I'm not going to debate you. Filoni's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> riding high right now. People are very happy about yeah. it. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, uh, what what Ed? What I say ATAT. Uh, I say ATAT too. Brett and I and I tell I say ATAT because you have ATSTs and what are you going to call? It wouldn't make sense to say ATST. Yeah, yeah, agreed. I do add at or Walker. Uh, it's usually it was, Walker. The debate was finally settled when a spokesperson of George Lucas stated on Lucas's behalf that it is said like the word at. So Clayton oh, and Brett, really? yeah, shout out to you guys. You guys are canonized. Well done. Carrie you didn't Fisher. even have to debate us, and and you won. <laughs> this is a this is the most eighties like or seventy nine story of all time. Like uh, they're shooting Empire and the Monty Python crew shooting Life of Brian nearby, um, and, and when they're all in the UK, and so Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford are partying partying with the the Monty Python crew, and they're all at this house. They're hanging out with the Rolling Stones and the Monty Python crew. Yeah. They're drinking a potent liquor, which the Pythons nicknamed the Tunisian table cleaner. Uh, that they they brewed themselves. They all stayed Sounds up scary. really late, had a good time, and the first scene shot the next day was Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher arrival on Cloud City when they first see Lando, and Carrie Fisher says that's why she they look so happy in that scene. <laughs> Eric Idle of Monty Python says to this day that he was pleased to have a small hand in how the final film turned out. Uh, the sound of Darth Vader's meditation chamber is a recording of a whole block of Alcatraz cell doors opening um, and slamming mm-hmm. shut. And then the last thing I pull was that Clive Rebel in the original cut of Empire voices the Emperor when he appears to Darth Vader. But the character is played by a woman, Marjorie mm-hmm. Eaton, who was elderly at the time, replaced with chimp eyes over her eyes. And I actually have that scene now that I'm going to play because I feel like it's interesting. What is thy bidding, my master? There is a great disturbance in the Force. I have felt it. We have a new enemy, Luke Skywalker. Yes, my master. He could destroy us. He's just a boy. Obi-Wan can no longer help him. The Force is strong with him. The son of Skywalker must not become a Jedi. If he could be turned, he would become a powerful ally. Yes. Yes. He would be a great asset. Can it be done? 
He will join us or die, Master. So then you see the re-recording with Ian McDermott um, replaced with when he plays Palpatine in the prequels. And they added some dialogue in there to tie um, Anakin Skywalker as the father of Luke and all that. But that's a kind of a fascinating little time capsule into the original cut. Um, any other trivia you guys discovered while researching this movie? Anything, Clayton, that we haven't talked about, mm. you being the guru? Oh my gosh, trivia, trivia, trivia. Nothing really nothing really stands out. Um I do I do love the I did I love all of those. Um God, no, nothing comes to mind. Let me think. Um well, you think trivia. I have this. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, I've got I've got sound bites here too. And then one oh, of my favorite prepared. <laughs> I do have one. I do have one. Go ahead. Oh, mine's not trivia. So, so you go ahead and throw your trivia out there. Oh, I love the fact that when they were shooting on the Dagobah set, uh, Mark Hamill apparently had a little radio transistor in in his yeah. ear so that he could hear Oz doing the voice, and so he could react to it. Uh, since Oz was buried sort of below the the set, uh, and he said if he uh, if he if he turned his head a certain way, he'd pick up the local radio station. <laughs> Yeah. It'd be like music playing in his ear all of a sudden in between yeah. in between a lot of that. Uh, I yeah. saw like a cut of the behind the scenes and they, they were filming a really intense emotional scene and all of a sudden Mark Hamill looked up and started laughing. He's a really charismatic, like joking guy. And he said, I got the stones, like pointing to his ear yeah. in the middle of the scene. And I, I, I love Hamill, man. I, I just, I can't get enough. I'm glad he's like back with- oh, He's a treasure. Too. He really is. And and I think, I hope that more generations understand that. Um, yeah. Brent, what do you got? Uh, well, <laughs> got me. Uh, on that note, uh, it's just an, an incredible performance in general, uh, from Mark Hamill talking to a puppet for most of his scenes, right? Like he can't hear the actual voice actor and he's, he's talking to a puppet and a robot. And, uh, he's still one of the most powerful, uh, performances that we get in like, the entire series, right? Like he's. He's we'll get to that the, later. You're stepping on some of the categories. Oh, here. yeah, I am, aren't I? Yeah, come on, guy. Dang. Uh, Dang. Before we get, my training is not complete, but I'm deciding that I need to go. You're not. You're rushing forward. You're always looking over the horizon, never looking what's in front of you. Um, all right. So, focus on the here and now, man. Yeah, dude. All right. So before we get to categories, Peter Suzitsky, the cinematographer of this movie, uh, der- or shot Rocky Horror Picture Show, Mars Attacks, shot a lot of the David Cronenberg uh, films. Um one of well, the or, or the second best looking Star Wars movie. The shots here are pristine. Uh, every time it shows up on one perfect shot, I'm a big cinematography guy. The scene of Luke and Vader crossing swords, uh, well, right. crossing lightsabers there on top of the stairs is, is iconic. Um, the, the cinematography of this movie takes it up another level, uh, and it is fantastic. It's a very, very, very pretty movie, and um, I think that just sort of goes to the artisans behind the creating of it that came together to make what a lot of people consider the best shout out to last Jedi as well, which I feel like might be the best looking Star Wars movie. Um, but that's a, a podcast that we've already done. Um, moving to categories, unless anyone else has any other comments. I thought, uh, you know, there was another big uh, step up from the original Star Wars. Uh, and that was the actual lightsaber duels. And uh, a big reason for that, I didn't, I'd heard a little bit about this, but I didn't know quite the details 
Um, but I knew that the guy in Darth Vader's suit while he's dueling Luke Skywalker was uh, an actual, like, legit fencing guy. Uh, apparently, he is an Olympian. Um, I don't remember if he's a medalist or not, but apparently, the guy was a huge deal in Hollywood. Bob Anderson. Um, Bob Anderson. Who did everything from like the Princess Bride to the Lord of the Rings, big fight choreographer and a stuntman that was just like, uh, like the cream of the crop in Hollywood, which um, is kind of surprising given um, the other people that were involved in making this movie and how they tried to kind of stay away from, from having anybody to Hollywood um, in on the project. But you can see that he's really a big upgrade even even the way that vader moves during that duel um advances kind of the emotions that are that are felt in it you know he's kind of toying around with luke at first and then he gets a little bit more serious and then when they they meet for the third time on the catwalk he's just like okay it's it's time to end this thing and his movements are just angry yeah, uh, it's 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 one of the better like and we'll talk about this in single rated scene but it's one of the better like sort of storytelling through action scene scenes it's not an action scene for the purpose of action scene there's a lot of emotional stakes absolutely and that's what makes it matter i mean it's not just flashy crazy you know flips and everywhere and cgi and stuff um and it's, that you know, not yoda count dooku uh or yeah. yoda emperor palpatine or yoda <laughs> Dude, we're not hating on the other movies here <laughs> oh, yeah. it's oh, yeah. a celebration of empire oh, yeah. strikes back Clayton yeah, didn't come here for us to a lot of the deleted scenes are from Hoth and they have Wampas trapped in the uh, in the snow base that they cut out and because it just wasn't working with the actors and all that. But uh, one of the first video games that I pretty much shit my pants was playing Shadows of the, Shadow Empire. Of the Empire. Yeah, where they've got the Wampa room. And if you let those fuckers go and you turn your back on them, man, they'll uh, mess you up. One of the scariest, one of the scariest moments in video game. Uh, Three mini a controller getting, There's one deleted scene where like the snow troopers open the door with the wampas and a wampa yeah. rapes in yeah. the first snow trooper, and then the, the other the other ones immediately close the door and look yeah. at each other and just keep going on. And and it was, like, it's like a little bit of physical comedy there too. Yeah, and it's all like because Charlie C3PO went by and like ripped off the warning as they yeah. were they were going yeah, by yeah, the yeah. door. <laughs> Glad they uh, cut it out so that we could. Uh, yeah, we, it's all about pacing. It. But yeah, yeah. And moving on. Somebody, to somebody, somebody is selling that warning sign now, right? Is it uh, not sideshow or so, somebody is now selling a replica of that sign? You know, uh, the three PO ripped off the door. I, I feel like I have a little brother that needs that on his door. I feel like yes, yeah. you, you could place that in front of a lot of rooms <laughs> in your house and get some good comedy. Oh out yeah, of it. at least a few right. chuckles here and there. Um, moving to categories, we start with best acting. We Clayton, we are a, a sports-based website, so our categories are very basketball-based. The first <laughs> is who gets the most buckets in this movie, which is our category for the best actor, the best performance in this movie. I'm going to start with Brett. Brett, giving the ball to you. Because uh, I already said it. Uh, it's, it's Mark Hamill. Um, it's our, our hero, Luke Skywalker. For the reasons I stated before, he is acting. Basically, he's acting against CGI, which is what the actors have to do these days. They have to, to follow the green dot. Um, mm-hmm. But he's doing it at a time where where it could have been terrible because he's talking to actual puppets and everything. Like he, They, they can't fix it in post. They can't CGI the, the, the digital character to react to what he's doing. They, he literally has to act against a robot and a puppet. He does a masterful job. 
Um, he makes you feel everything, uh, his scream. So we've, I've talked about this before on, on this podcast. Uh, I hate when characters scream. No, like it, it's much more impactful when you just, when you can feel their body reacting to whatever the terrible thing that's happening to them is. Um, and, and, and Sam's perfect example is uh, breaking bad when Walt has to experience that at some point. And my, my terrible example is Thor yelling no in, uh, Avengers, um, infinity war. And, uh, but but this is like the quintessential this is the perfect time to scream no because you know your your dad just chopped off your hand and is the most evil guy in the the galaxy and you don't want that to be true so um i accept this his his no scream in this movie uh for that reason alone he's the best actor good pick hamill really sells those scenes by himself even talked about how sometimes when irvin kershner would be directing Frank Oz, he'd actually be directing the puppet because that's how believable Frank Oz was. So that just yeah. kind of goes to Frank Oz's performance. His um, skill. Yeah. He's amazing. He's a wizard. Uh, Ed, who do you like as the most buckets in this movie? Uh, you know, it's really hard because you want to go with Mark Hamill. Uh, he's, you know, you don't really think about him much. When I started watching the movie again, I started with some of these questions in mind and and he wasn't really even on my radar during the first act, but all of his scenes on Dagobah and in the climax in Bespin, you know, he really sells it. But this is a tough one for me. It was close, but I think I'm going to give it to Carrie Fisher. And maybe this is, you know, if it were a best actor, it would probably be a best supporting and everything because she doesn't have that many lines in this movie, but she sells the scene every time she's on the screen and it is just in her face. It is all in her eyes. No matter what is going on in the scene, she is advancing that action and she is uh, making all of the words that are being delivered by other characters that much more impactful. And I think that she does an absolutely masterful job of it. And maybe it was because she was you know, really high and like actually genuinely reacting to all of this. <laughs> Might have something to do with it. Clayton, who you like? Well, Ed has me rethinking my choice now because uh, he's he's absolutely right. Carrie Fisher does carry uh, so much uh, emotional weight in this film. And there's a, a shot in particular that I noticed the last time I watched the movie. And it is the moment that Fett loads Han Solo into Slave One and takes off. And she's standing there on the landing platform. And the camera, I think, kind of tracks into her a little bit. And you can just read all of the worry and angst and love in her in her face and in her emotions as she watches Han Solo you know be carted away by this bounty hunter to, to who knows what what fate and uh, and she's uh, just incredibly powerfully strong in in that role but I you know my, my initial choice is this is I, I agree um, I agree with Brett this is this is Mark Hamill's movie, I think, beginning to end. He's got, he's got such a, a transformative arc in this film, uh, from from beginning to end. Uh, you know, when he when he the the scene with Vader is is obviously one of his one of his best. Um, but you know, every, everything about it, the moment where he kind of makes that final sacrifice and and dives off of that, you know, falls off of that platform, uh, is sort of his to me, sort of his final transformation into this this character that that he's going to become uh i just i think he did a a tremendous he carried a tremendous amount of weight and you're right i I think there's no uh no denying that being able to do that up against uh you know a glorified muppet is is pretty strong 
Yeah, and even his scenes with an actual actor were with an actual actor wearing a full body suit and yeah. mask. Uh, so you know, it really is just that much more incredible. Yeah. Yeah, he carries a lot of the the movie. He's the linchpin, as I call it. You know, if he if his performance doesn't work, you don't buy into anything. Yeah. Um, you know, Harrison Ford gets to be the fun, charismatic compatriot. Uh, Carrie Fisher is to be Harrison Ford. He just, he just gets to be Harrison Ford, exactly. Um, and, and so that's where we find him. But it, it, he really is the linchpin of the movie. I'm going to zag a little bit though, because for the sake of podcasting, uh, and I am going to pick James Earl Jones as the voice. Ah, uh, was up there Vader. for me. Uh, and it, it is a, a voice performance. It, he is obviously not on screen at all, technically. Uh, but Darth Vader really takes on a new sort of hierarchy of a villain in this movie. Like he, in New Hope, I feel like he was very much the lackey. He was kind of the lapdog of the Emperor. There's that scene where they question his authority and kind of make fun of his religion. They straight up like talk shit to him in the middle of a like they, they straight up talk shit to him in the middle of like a meeting. <laughs> There's like a, a meeting of everyone and, and they make fun of his religion. Uh, in this movie, though, you're he is like the draconian manager. He's he rules by fear. You could tell that everyone's afraid of him. We could tell that he's sort of come up maybe in his role in the empire. And and I think the way that his voice is a little bit more menacing, all of the deliveries, all of the killings of his peons, the apology accepted Captain Nita is fucking mm-hmm. iconic. The All of the stuff when Luke first shows up on Cloud City, Luke jets up, Vader standing up there. There's that shot of Vader with the darkness and he says, the force is with you on Skywalker, but you're not a Jedi yet. And the way he says that is so fucking good. It gives me chills every time. Like I've watched this hundreds of times. Every time it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, and, and so, I mean, I, again, the, it, it, uh, if, if Luke is the, built, I was going to say the Ugnaughts finally built him a big old set of cybernetic balls. So that's where he, <laughs> yeah. that's why he was so, <laughs> so brave. And, that's true. That's true. The, uh, the, 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 well, the problem was when he first got put in the suit, he crushed everything like he fucked up, you know, uh, and then, you know, so this, and he was uh, in a different place there when he first got, but anyway, uh, my pick is James Earl Jones. He's just a fantastic voice performer. I think this is where, this is the peak Vader performance. Um, moving on to the next category. Um, we six are looking man. at six Four man slash woman award because um, we are equal opportunity here on in the can, which is the or robot. Or robot or droid in this or creature or alien or creature. Androgynous yeah. other creature. Yeah, there we go. Uh, that, that is the, the character that makes the most of their role with limited screen time, like a six man would on a basketball team. Ed, who you got? It's gotta be Boba Fett. Like clearly it's Boba Fett, right? Ooh, that's a good one. Dude landed a spot in the next movie. He spawned a new character, AKA exactly the same character in the prequel uh, trilogy he spawned two TV series plus, you know, books, video games, and an entire civilization in the Star Wars universe. And it's literally all just because this dude wore a fire outfit to Vader's little bounty hunter party. Like, that's all he had to do. He just showed up, looked really cool. And, and they spawned all of this stuff just from that. You just got to put a little paint on the best car. That's, yeah, that's, that's what Vader needs to just, just needs gotta a little shine. That up. Yeah, yeah and just then you like on your own series on Disney Plus. I gotta <laughs> say that Tamira Morrison needs to do a little CrossFit. He's filling out that armor a little, a, a little too much. Uh, <laughs> yeah. anyway, that's 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 a uh, that's a deep cut for the Mandalorian podcast. We'll do it at some point. Speaking um, of, that's that's one where he's gone. They've gone too far, uh, dubbing his voice into 
the Boba Fett of the original trilogy. Uh, I think Jason Wingreen has the perfect like gun for hire, bounty hunter voice. Like Boba Fett's voice was one of the best parts of Boba Fett for me, I, and you, now they've they've changed it for yeah. the next generation. He had a great voice, but that was one of the decisions that really made a lot of sense to me for Lucas. You know, it, with the prequel, they established him yeah, as the clone, and it, and it just makes like continuity it. sense. Yeah. You know, uh, sure, you don't uh, like, I don't like change either. You know, I, I hate it when they, they switch it up. I'm like, Damn, oh, well, it just fucking aired out, Brett. Yeah, he did. <laughs> I, don't like change I, don't, I don't mean to say that's the only reason that you don't like it. You just, you that's know, funny. express some actual, like, Good legitimate yeah. reasons and everything. I always have YouTube. I can go back and listen to. Yeah, that was one that actually. And and I think I'm usually pretty hard on George Lucas, but that was one that actually made sense to me. Uh, Clayton, who you like, six man slash woman slash droid award? Uh, I I'm gonna go with a kind of an oddball one here. I, I am going with Rogue Two. Uh, Rogue mm. Two. I uh, was played by uh, Christopher Malcolm, a uh, Scottish actor, actually, um, who, you know, in, in the first half hour of this movie has this incredible arc where he is, um, you know, he's not playing against any other actors. He's sitting in the cockpit of a snowspeeder for his entire uh, on-screen existence, uh, probably, uh, you know, getting lines from a, a script, you know, somebody with a script. Off, off camera um but you know he is he he has just this one location and really just this one thing to do but he really really um he 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 takes what he has and just knocks it out of the park and you have this moment where uh we don't know what has happened to han solo we don't know what has happened to luke skywalker they've been out all night in the middle of this uh hostile uh, snowy, frigid environment, and you see that sort of angst on his face as he searches around, right? And then when he finally hears Han Solo on the radio, you see this immediate deep breath and the smile, and his whole demeanor changes. And and at that moment, he is all of us because we are we are relieved to, to find them. out that he has found, found he has found yeah he's found them. I found them. I mean, it's a great yeah, triumphant moment for him. And then. Uh, of course, a few minutes uh, later, he's uh, he's one of the few pilots that we see, other than Wedge and Luke Skywalker, in the in the Battle of Hoth, and uh, we see sadly uh, pour one out for Rogue Two because mm-hmm. he ends up. We see his face bloodied, and then a couple seconds later, he's he's blown to smithereens. So uh, Christopher Malcolm uh, passed away in in 2014, I believe. Um, but yeah, he uh, he he's my he gets my my sixth man uh, award for for going down in a blaze of fire and glory. Yeah. Well, and, and following the following the way that characters uh, live their lives in the Star Wars universe, he'll actually be back in Mandalorian season four. Uh, the Force, <laughs> will, have re, the force right. will have reconstituted him somehow. <laughs> it was, survived it was, the speeder. Yeah, yeah. Show up in a snow speeder. Like, yeah. And they're gonna be like, "Wait, why do you, yours blew up? Like, no one has yeah. those anymore." He's yeah. gonna be like, "I don't know. That's the last thing I was in." So, right, um, yeah. So, uh, good pick. My pick is I, I just need to ISO real quick on Frank Oz uh, as Yoda. I mean, it, it is a a performance that looms over the entire film, and again, uh, it's constantly said on in the behind the scenes documentaries that if they couldn't get Yoda to work, if you didn't believe him to be a real creature, then the whole middle act of the movie is down in flames and thus the whole movie. Uh, And really maybe the saga to that point, because if you don't buy one element, then you sort of suspend 
all of your belief in the whole saga. Uh, so you have a guy with a puppet. Um, he's you know below the stage puppeting and doing the dialogue. And I'll be damned if watching it in 2020, the year of our Lord and coronavirus, if I wasn't fully in still when I watched this movie. Like, it, it is so good. I mean, and, and there's, there's, no, there's no point where you're like, this is a puppet. Um, and, and there are some times where you're like, you you, you might think that, and uh, or there's some old CGI that you look at, like um, Yoda from maybe some of the prequels. You're like, oh, I don't know about this. It doesn't look quite as good anymore. Uh, but this is, you just fully buy into it because of the performance. Um, and you have him playing off Luke really well. He has this sort of arc as a leader where he like initially does the subterfuge and then tricks Luke and thinking that he's not that character to figure out Luke's true intentions, all this sort of classical uh, mythological leader, teacher, mentor stuff. He's different Mm -hmm. than Obi-Wan, which is important. You can't have him be the same sort of guy as Obi-Wan. He has to be different or else you just repeat the exact same mentorship from the first film. And in that, it all works. And he delivers some of the best stuff about the Force. I mean, some of the the best stuff about what the Force is, how it works, is delivered by Yoda in expository dialogue. But it doesn't feel expository. I mean, it's all very much furthering the story. You're in on the Luke training. You're in on these little nuggets that Yoda drops. And it just all works within the context of those scenes. And frankly, when I'm watching it, I just want to keep getting back to Dagobah because I'm fully in on what they've got going on. Um, I mean, the, the, the Han and Leia stuff's fun. It's like, you know, because Harrison Ford's so fun and they're developing relationship. But you know, even now that I'm like, um, you know, more into girls than I was when I was seven and understand that whole like thing is cool and all. Like I get the Harrison Ford attraction to Carrie Fisher thing. Um, I want to get back to Luke's training and it's just fantastic. And we'll get into quotes from Yoda later. But I mean, it, it is a transcendent performance from Frank Oz. And I feel like he doesn't get enough credit for creating... I mean, is he a top five pop culture character, Yoda? I mean, is there a person in the world oh. that doesn't know who Yoda is? Um, and, and I mean, he created, brought to life, continues to bring to life, and doesn't ask for any of the acclaim that a lot of people do. So that shout out Frank Osman, like, I mean, a, a kind of a key component to all of our childhoods. And he really yeah. is, he is, you know, you're right. He's like the linchpin of all of the Jedi slash force philosophy in this movie, which is one of the big things that empire does is it really doubles down on the world building, you know, uh, a new hope without feeling like it does. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Basically everything that Yoda does is exposition, but at no point in time, do you feel like it's exposition? And then to a lesser extent, James Earl Jones does the same thing with the dark side, you know, Yoda is explaining the light side of the force to Luke and everything. And then James Earl Jones kind of does the same thing with throughout their duel, but at no point does it ever feel like exposition. And that's one of the things that this movie really knocks out of the park. I think is it delivers all of this expositional kind of information, but it hides it either in these training sessions or in, you know, Darth Vader's plea to convert Luke or in military briefings and reports so that it feels totally natural and exactly in place and what these characters are supposed to be talking about. One of the things that just I hadn't really thought of since until Mandalorian, but like, so Yoda's 900 years old when he dies, he's been training Jedi for 800 years. Uh, Grogu baby Yoda is 50 years old su- supposedly from what we know so at what point in that 50 years do you go from Grogu to being able to train Jedi right so Yoda is 100 years old when he starts training Jedi right so like, he's just like really intense for those guys yeah it's just like <laughs> there's uh, a growth spurt coming in. yeah yeah, they spurt, <laughs> they spurt. 
Yeah, he's just uh, discovering his like the Playboys and like the, the you know, things <laughs> on the mattress sort of stuff. Uh, he's got, he's got the dashboard confessional and like his like uh, iPod. It's gonna be good stuff for Grogu he's coming forward. Finding that one lady gremlin up on the, his wall. <laughs> yeah. He loves gremlins too. Loves gremlins too. Um, yeah, I mean, like Yoda, you, you know, when, when Luke's running and flipping, like he's delivering this stuff, he's like a Jedi strength flows from the Force. But beware of the dark side, anger, fear, aggression, the dark side of the Force are they. Those are the first times we hear those words associated with the dark side. Of course, it's self-intuitive, but, you know, we, we Yoda delivers the stuff we know about the Force. Like if I was to explain to someone that's never seen Star Wars mm-hmm. what the Force is, I would be just quoting Yoda the whole time. Is the no, dark right. side stronger? No, no, quicker, easier, more seductive. That sort of stuff. I mean, it's it's classic. It's as as Clayton alluded to earlier. I mean, it's King Arthur sort of stuff. Um, it's stuff that Merlin would say uh, in any sort of historical story. But it, I mean, it all it all checks out here in in this context and with this dialect. So, um, shout out Frank Oz. Yeah. Um, any other not, comments? It's not just Dom Monahan saying Sith magic and expecting us to to buy that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah secrets of the Sith. Uh, my sixth man, I haven't done it yet, but uh, I just we got to get we got to get Lando in here somewhere. Um, so I'll go with with Billy D. Williams and his prime. Mm. Uh, great cool character, cat, as they yeah, say. just mm. just a smooth mother. Uh, you know how hard it was to bring someone on when they saw it. You know, we've got Han Solo played by Harrison Ford. You know, peak Harrison Ford, and we've got to get someone to compete with him in terms of yeah. being cool. How are we going to do that? Mm. Billy D. Williams just knocks it out of the park. There might yeah, be only yeah. like one or two people on planet Earth at that time that could do that, and he's Billy D. Williams is one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agree. Yeah, uh, heartbreaking when he when he double crosses the team, uh, and you feel that with just just a few minutes of him being on screen, you want to like this character almost like maybe almost more than Han at that point. You're like, oh man, he's coming in to steal Leia. How's this going to play out? Oh, you mother. Uh, <laughs> And then at the by the end, you know he's he's pretty much ready to go uh, full full in on the rebellion. So that's pretty cool. Um, and then he 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 flies the ship, and we get to see that in the Return of the Jedi. Uh, yeah. So six man, I'll throw it out there to Lando because he's a very enjoyable character that they've added. Uh, no Jar Jar Binks in in his performance. So shout out Billy D Williams. Moving on to ISO play single greatest scene. I've got. Five nominations myself. You guys can add in. I've got the Hoth battle, snow speeders, Adat Walker battle. I've got the asteroids, cat and mouse scene uh, where Leia and Han and Millennium Falcon dive into the asteroids to escape the Empire and that whole process of being in the space worm. I've got Luke in the dark side cave on Dagobah, intercut with the training scenes. I've got Yoda lifting the X-wing. Luke, I don't believe it. Yoda, and that is why you fail. And then the Cloud City duel at the end of the film because the stakes of what's going on, you're moving through different sets. The fight transitions so much, like even, you know, in, in the location, which is great. Um, I think it might be my favorite lightsaber duel in the series because of both the, the combat itself and then the meeting kind of behind what's going on in the story. Uh, any other scenes that you guys want to highlight is something that when you turn this movie on, if it's on in the background, Clayton, like you like to put on, and the second this scene comes on, your, your vision is immediately snapped back to the TV screen. Uh, for me, there is only one, and uh, that is the scene in the med bay where everybody shows up after Luke has been rescued, and uh, it is all of the main characters together for really the only significant time in the in the movie. Um, it 
has so many good lines in it for whether it's scruffy looking nerf herder to laugh it up fuzzball to the kiss. I mean, it, it, to me, it's it's hands down simple choice is is definitely the the med bay scene. I like yeah. it. You get back to tank. You get Luke in the diaper. I yeah. feel like that yeah. could have been a better way to orchestrate that. Maybe you like frost the glass <laughs> um, instead and, of like. Uh, I mean, you, I feel like you need to you know if you're all the actor can get to all <laughs> your credits. Yeah, right. Diaper on, like even medical sense, but uh, yeah. Well, you know, and I and I, I just I, I think this represents just the best part of Star Wars because the three of them were. You, you mentioned earlier the chemistry between these three was was tremendous and and there was nothing like it and so the scenes where uh they were together and they were always kind of bickering and and kind of you know playing up whether it was you know you you came in here and you didn't have a way to get out or get this walking carpet out of my way those scenes with the three of them were always the best which is really to me why uh the the sequel trilogy really uh screwed up by not getting them the three of them back together at, at some point um Early on, I think that was one of the great failings of the sequel trilogy because the three of them were just so great together. And that that scene, that med bay scene, I think just represents the best of it. Uh, since I've been hating so much on the sequel trilogy, I will uh, I'll I'll throw a bone towards them in the Last Jedi. So really, Ryan Johnson. But uh, when Luke says goodbye to Leia, basically drops the dice into her hand, and that's a very touching moment. Um, and to me, that plays off of what I think is the single greatest moment in this movie is when Leia hears Luke calling for help and, and we realize that connection yeah. right there, we realize what that means like, and the fact that it is. And um, there's just so much, so much emotion in that moment because now Luke is safe and uh, that ends the movie on somewhat of a, a safe note for our characters. But uh, I think that's the single greatest moment in this entire movie. It's just, is when, when that happens. And there's so much more packed into that moment. You know, that's the yeah, first time that we get any kind of hint that Leia is going to be force sensitive to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my eyes will play though for my favorite scene is, is Han getting frozen in carbonite. Leia finally emits her emotion. Um, and, and Han, one of the improvised lines, it turns out, um, Kirsch let, let Han met, uh, mess with the script. Um, Han Solo is supposed to say, I love you too, or, or acknowledge it back. Um, and of course, Harrison Ford says, I know to Leia admitting that she loves him. Um, and then she loses him essentially maybe forever. Uh, we don't know if, if, if Han's going to survive that, uh, because he's the Guinea pig, but, um, that's my favorite scene in, in empire strikes back. Yeah. And the original, the original line was he, he, he said, you, you remember that because I'm going to be back. And, and at that point they didn't actually know whether Harrison Ford was going to be back. And so this was sort of their out to, uh, but yeah, he did come up with that line. He, he came up with that line and pitched it to Kirsch to uh, let him do it. One of the iconic and takeaways. Apparently Lucas hated it when he heard it. And of course we did. it took, <laughs> Uh, I believe, as the story goes, it took until they screened the film in San Francisco. Oh, yeah, yeah, audience, audience Yeah. And the audience loved it. And then uh, that convinced Lucas that, that it could yeah. stay the way it was. But, yeah, originally he, he did not like it at all. A man who's not afraid of change, which may be no. why you like him so much, Ed. <laughs> the, uh, the, the, the carbonite freezing chamber is a fantastic set. I mean, I, you love that set, like the, the beginning of the battle. The, I mean, shout out set designer again. That's just classic oh, shit. That's, I think that's, that's the, the best that, set in the movie. Yeah, and apparently the actors almost fell a couple times. Like it was, it was there actually was 
you know, 10 feet high and yeah, no railing. Due to Imperial safety code. Yeah. Right? yeah. No railing anywhere. Uh, my guys just do not honor the ADA. Yeah. They are not about those OSHA regulations. Carrie and Harrison, that was apparently one of the big fights that they had on set. Uh, and so while they were fighting, while Kirshner's trying to direct them, apparently David Prowse, uh, Vader's body, tried to pitch a signed copy of his book, Fitness is Fun, to Kirshner at that moment. Like they're having a big blow up, the scene's falling apart, everybody's trying to figure it out. You only get one shot, dude. Him and him told us. He took it. That's why he's Vader, right? Uh but uh that was a, a bit of trivia that, that made me chuckle. That's Sorry. good stuff. I mean, there, there's every scene. Is, it, 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 there's like sequences, really. Like you think about almost like acts and you really like every scene of this movie is kind of there's no chaff, right? It's all wheat, you know, and that, that's all that, that's a sign it's, of a good movie. It's really tough to come up with something that you could cut. You know, uh, I mean, I couldn't come up with anything uh, by no means an expert or anything like that. But there's not a scene in this movie that I could think of. Oh, if you got rid of that, it'd still be the same movie. Mm-hmm. Yep, agree. Real good editing, real concise. Um, just a really well put together movie. Moving on to most quotable quote, lot Yoda here. Uh, but let me start with one of my favorites. I've got a video. Your tauntaun will freeze before you reach the first marker. Then I'll see you in hell. I, I've said I'll see you in hell to people before I even like had a context yeah. of what that meant. I, I was like yeah. eight years old, and <laughs> like my friend would take my uncrustable. And I'd like steal it back from him. Like, I'm going to tell your mom. And I'd be like, I'll see you in hell. And, like, <laughs> it's just, it's really just a lifestyle, Harrison Ford. And honestly, I feel like he said that more in his real life than he has on sets. I mean, I feel like that, that's the most Harrison Fordy moment. Uh, they're like, Harrison, yeah. why don't you come back for a third movie? And he says, I'll see you in hell. Uh, Harrison, or, please don't uh, you fly your World War II fighter plane today. The weather's kind of bad. I'll <laughs> yeah. see you in hell. Yeah. fantastic time. just peak grumpy awesome curmudgeon-y awesome I, I i can't get enough harrison ford love that <laughs> and that's that to me is larry kazan i it, that wasn't a line that would have been said in the first movie which is a little cheesier lovingly cheesy right. we love it for what it is but that is a like real guys in a wartime environment dealing with like life and death stakes and the kind of thing that someone would say that if you're a dashing rogue right like but that's not something han would have said in the first movie. Um, so I think that's kind of the writing. Um, Yoda, yeah. no, try not, do or do not. There is no try. I use that all the time. It's fantastic. Uh, Princess Leia, while you stuck up half-witted, scruffy-looking nerf herder uh, to Clayton's favorite scene in the movie, Han Solo replies, who's scruffy-looking? Uh, <laughs> so he admits the nerf herder, whatever that is. I mean, yeah. that's an implicit admission there. Right. Um, <laughs> Princess Leia, I love you. Han Solo, I know. Luke, I don't think so. I'm looking for a great warrior. Yoda. Oh, great warrior. Wars not make one great, which is fantastic. I mean, that Larry Katzen, baby. I mean, he's just cooking with this Yoda dialogue. Um, Darth Vader, the force is with you, young Skywalker, but you are not a Jedi yet. Lando, when he first sees Leia, Brett, I feel like you need to do Lando right now. I know you've been working your Billy D for, for this exact moment. When he first I can't remember Lando. what he says. And who's this? Is that what he Hello. Hello. What have oh. we here? Hello. What have we here? Oh, good. Appreciate it, man. That was a great job. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we'll fix that in post. We'll fix that Hello. in post. Yeah, we'll, we'll fix that in post. Yeah, I'm actually going to like... Hello there. This entire Hello there. I'm going to replace this entire podcast with a giant CGI band. So hopefully that's cool. Um, <laughs> which is what, it's what the people want. It's what I originally intended. 
Um, <laughs> if you, uh, Darth Vader, if you only knew the power of the dark side, Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No, I am your father. Not Luke. I am your father. Everyone. What? Get it right. Any other quotes? Any other things that jump out to you guys? Good shot, Jansen. That got him. Oh, also, can that I shout out? That was a good impression. That was fantastic, actually. I want to shout out Dak. Actually, I want to talk shit about Dak for a second. All right. <laughs> Dak fumbled the ball on the 99. <laughs> yeah, he did. Dak? Yeah. I feel like he could take on the whole empire. Oh, that's another another one to think about. I'm sorry to cut you off. I got to do it. I feel like but, I take a little bit of myself. When Luke is getting into his cockpit and Dak says, I feel like I could take on the whole empire, and, and, and Luke kind of tempers him, we're, we're maybe supposed to think of that as, he's Luke from a new hope because that's something that Luke would say yeah. to Harrison Ford. But Luke is now the, the, the more grizzled veteran of the, the whole campaign here. So well, let me something just, I had thought about. Dak's whole role is to man the harpoon gun. <laughs> that's all he does when you're the rear person in the, the, the snow speeder. And then when they get to position where they need to fire the harpoon gun, Luke asks him if he's ready, and Dak says, I'm not set yet. What the fuck have you been doing? <laughs> like, you have one job. It's the classic example you have one job. Dak, you, I mean, dude, you, you, Luke had to pull some crazy awesome Jedi shit where he, like, grapples up mm-hmm. and throws the grenade up there. Uh, Dak, really bad character, honestly. Like, I, I'm not saying you deserve to die, but, like, eh, you know, no, he deserved to die. Uh, it, no it was his own you, fault. It, hey, yeah, directly his own fault. Um, all right. Switcheroo, this is a if you could replace any character in the film with Nicolas Cage, who would you replace and why? Mine's a really easy pick. Um, mine would be the space worm with a giant Nicolas Cage head. <laughs> and when it launches out, it's Nicolas Cage's head and it, like its jaws close and almost snare the Millennium Falcon with it. And, and, and that's it. I got Ed there though. Ed, Ed, yeah, I, 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 I did not see that one coming. <laughs> that's a good one. Uh, Clayton, if you could put Nick Cage in here. Who are you doing and why? And would he steal the Declaration of Independence? This is not going to be a popular opinion, I don't think. But I, I just thought if you switched him out with with Lando, you know, he, he, Cage just has that weird, unpredictable energy, and I just kind of feel like he would fit that that Judas, you know, the betrayer, um, you know, kind kind of kind of role. I, th- I feel like he he he'd be a good fit for that that character that you're not quite sure if if uh you could trust him or not he just kind of keep you uh, on on edge the whole time but uh no offense to billy d love billy d but uh but i thought that could be a sort of an interesting choice that could work a little bit of face off cage kind of like on the yeah. edge like doesn't really know right. what's going on who's this guy yeah i like it right uh, they oscar winning nick cage I, I obviously we love him around here on in the yeah. we love both sides of cage we love oscar winning leaving las vegas cage and we love conair cage right. we, we we don't discriminate right. ed you better Better hope that George doesn't watch this because he might go back and fix. He's sitting on hundreds of millions of dollars at this point. He could do whatever he wants and he's looking for ideas. Dude, can you imagine Nick Cage getting those worlds? They like bring, they put him in on Rise of Skywalker. He shows up like with the cane and in, in that, like, yeah, it's fantastic stuff. Um, uh, is just gonna feel a little squirrely one day and make a whole yeah. movie full of Nick yep. Cage. Yep. He's done it. He's he's doing it right now. He's making eighty different versions of of Star Wars. Yep. Mm. Uh, so for me, it's uh, Captain slash Admiral uh, Pitt, the oh. uh, the guy that is you know reluctantly put in charge of the Imperial okay. fleet 
or uh, at least the squadron that uh, Vader has going on. But, you know, to me, there's something about British Nick Cage, you know, kind of repeatedly soiling his pants as he watches all of his like fellow officers be murdered. I think he's standing right there while Vader murders three different guys um, throughout the movie, all while he still has to be delivering these reports to Vader that are most often not good reports. So, you know, he's, he's on the verge of death basically the whole time. And um, something about Nick Cage doing that all while trying to do a British accent is really entertaining to me because he's just sitting there hoping, praying that he's not about to get whacked for whatever he's doing. And uh, I think it's a good role for him, but close runner up. uh, We replaced James Earl Jones with Vader because I feel like that is going to be almost as good as the Arnold Schwarzenegger does Vader YouTube video. <laughs> Certainly Nick close. Cage. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Admiral, Admiral Ozel is the first uh, official killed, replaced by mm-hmm. what was Captain Piet, eventually Admiral Piet. Ozel murdered over Skype. Real tough beat. Yeah. 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 Like Glad Vader that you got to that. Sends him a Zoom call. Admiral Ozel is trying to give his, yeah, he's trying to give his report on Zoom. And then straight up gets force choked via Zoom. That's even in the age of COVID, that's tough. That's a tough hang. Yeah. You don't want to see it for Admiral Ozel. Brett, who do you like, Nick Cage as? Uh, I'd replace Lobot, uh, Lando's assistant, <laughs> with Nick Cage. Uh, if Shavehead Nick Cage with like a cybernetic implant, like that just stares around, like I, he's he's been training for that role, really. Definitely have to give Lobot yeah. some more dialogue for that one. No, just some action scenes. Uh, we just need Nick Cage like prowling around into the couple of Uzis. Yep. All right. Uh, this is uh, this is the last category. It's if you could rewatch this movie. Would is this a one you own, one you rent, one you happen to catch on on HBO Stars, or I will never watch this again? Uh, I think we kind of all so feel the same. Any of us not own this movie. Yeah. It wouldn't uh, be here. I own this movie in like multiple mediums. Um, which is, you know, VHS, DVD. Now I have it on my iTunes account. I have the Blu-ray as well. So that's just, Sam that's just the way it goes. At this point. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah. That's you I, guys can't. My podcast, can't, can't be. Yeah. Uh, maybe Clayton can. Maybe Clayton has the original in the can. He's, yeah. he's actually got it on. Yeah, Clayton's got, he, as a Star Wars insider, he's got the actual reel. Yeah. He's got the original cut. <laughs> I've got the actual reel. It's in my closet right over here. Yeah. It's how you love yeah, no, I I, do, I have it on VHS, um, and and of course, I, I mean, it may be on a TV upstairs right now on Disney Plus. I mean, that's how frequently we play it in this house. Like any good father should, talk <laughs> right. to your kids exactly. at an early, early and often. Guys, yeah. any other parting thoughts on Clayton, Empire Strikes Clayton, Back? Clayton, Clayton, maybe you can dodge this question if you want. But so you said you've got at least one son, and he's watched it. What order did he see the movies in? Ooh, great question. Uh, we did, we did, uh, four, five, six. So we did the original trilogy uh, and then, and then the prequels. Yeah. And you know, I'm, it's funny because he's seven and uh, seven and a half now. And it's fascinating to me watching the prequels with him because when they came out, uh, I, I wasn't the biggest fan. I mean, they were so different yeah. from, from the original, obviously. Um, but watching with him, it, it, yeah. It really drives home the idea that that I knew sort of intellectually, but never really saw it in front of me, which is that 
for some kids, you know, the prequels are the on-ramp into the Star Wars highway, yeah. and he loved everything about them. Jar Jar Binks was his favorite character, um, which is which is amazing. I, and and I told Ahmed Best this uh, in an interview I did with him over the summer. It's like, um, you know, so so yeah. Anyway, we did we did four, five, six, then the prequels, and then he's seen uh, the sequel trilogy basically in order when they came out. Um. That so my brother, I've got a brother who's about seventeen years younger than me, and for him, I don't know that he's ever seen the original series. Mm-hmm. I think he's only ever seen the prequel until yeah. the sequel series came out. But for him, Star Wars was the prequel, and and he mm-hmm. he didn't love it. And I was like, well, you haven't seen Star Wars, right? Like you, mm-hmm. you've never actually seen Star Wars. Uh, so I'm trying to figure out how to do that with my son. I love the YouTube cut where they cut most of the Phantom Men- Menace out, most mostly just eliminate Jar Jar Binks. Uh, oh yeah, so yeah. I'm, I'm highly debating whether I want to show that to my That's son funny. when he's old enough to start watching movies right. and just right. skip skip all that. Sorry, Ahmed. Uh, but but uh, <laughs> did a great job. Was uh, was dealt a hard hand. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, and no, no disrespect to all the actors and craftsmen on the prequels. Obviously, they all like did excellent work. Matthew Wood, I know, is a guy that you've you've interviewed closely, Clayton, and you know, mm-hmm. kind of the sound guru of Skywalker. Um, sound and, and all of that. So the, everyone worked really hard. So th- any other parting Star Wars thoughts, Clayton, before we wrap up? Uh, I, I just think from, from th- this truly is sort of the perfect Star Wars movie, just artistically, you know, we, we talked a little bit about the cinematography. It's, it's the, it's a beautiful looking film. It re- really is. The lighting especially is so much different than, than, uh, than the original Star Wars. And then even Return of the Jedi kind of went back to that sort of high key lighting, um sort of sort of looked at the original head and so this this one is 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 truly kind of unique and and i think there's a good reason why people love it as much as they do it was uh it wasn't you know in in the clip that we uh, uh the behind the scenes clip that we played the other day on on good morning america that uh had a new interview with hamill and he said you know this was uh what what made this movie so great was the fact that it didn't simply repeat uh, what Star Wars had done, you know, we were not triumphant. The good guys didn't come out on top, and that carried uh, an emotional weight and and consequence that I think really deeply resonated with people. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's it's stuck around as a classic as long as it has. It's true. Uh, anyone else? All right, Jedi Master Clayton, we appreciate your time. And, uh, <laughs> well, thank you guys for having me. So much for we look, we yeah. look forward to your tutelage and, and perhaps other episodes. In three years, we'll be doing the 40th Annie of Return of the Jedi. <laughs> right. and we've done some interesting orders here. We The only two Star Wars podcasts we've done so far are uh, Last Jedi and now Empire Strikes Back. So it's all oh, cool. perhaps downhill from here. We did Rise of Skywalker. We did. We did uh, oh, my gosh. Skywalker. We did Rise of Skywalker. Right. But I just blacked out during that. Yeah, there's no, there's no reason to revisit that. I think I did a ton of ether before that, and just like don't remember it. To be honest with you, but yeah, that's that's lost in the blue milk and went for it. Yeah, it it was. But uh, boys, it's been fun. Uh, Make sure you put your tauntoms out of the super cold area tonight. Get some blue milk. Head to bed, and remember that the Jedi training might just be on the horizon. It's been a blast. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it.